0: It was an unbearably hot night in July of 1918. World War I was halfway through what would become its final year. The Germans were in the midst of a massive spring offensive, marked notably by the appearance of U-boats for the first time in history. The Italians had just triumphed over Austro-Hungarian forces in the Battle of Piave, and Nicholas II, the last Tsar to reign in Russia, would be brutally murdered alongside his family as part of the birth of the new Soviet Union. It was in the midst of this chaos that a young lieutenant named Ernest Hemingway sat in a trench, watching exploding munitions light up the dark sky. Stationed with the Red Cross on the Piave River on the Italian front near Fossalta, the young lieutenant was only two weeks from his 19th birthday. In the background, Hemingway listened as enemy gunfire pierced the hot night air in rhythmic sequences. As the young Hemingway listened to the distant gunfire, he suddenly heard the tell-tale sound of a mortar shell headed directly toward him. Before he could react, the shell hit the ground near Hemingway, exploding into fire around him. Shrapnel from the explosion tore through his legs, knocking him to the ground and sending his body into shock. As he lay in agony, Hemingway suddenly felt his consciousness float upward into the night air, leaving his body behind him. He recounted being able to see his body, unconscious, as it lay motionless on the dirt below him. This sensation, of being disembodied yet fully conscious of the experience, would become famously described in his book, A Farewell to Arms. Hemingway wrote, I tried to breathe, but my breath would not come. I felt myself rush bodily out of myself, and out, and out, and out, and all the time bodily in the wind. I went out swiftly, all of myself, and I knew it had all been a mistake to think he just died. Then I floated, and instead of going on, I felt myself slide back. I breathed, and I was back. The First Great World War would end before the close of the year, with Germany seeking an armistice on November 7th. Shortly after, the German Republic would be born, with Kaiser Wilhelm fleeing to Holland. On November 11th, Armistice Day. All fighting in World War One finally stopped, with the United States suffering the loss of 57,476 casualties. While recovering in a hospital in Milan, Hemingway would describe his experience in a letter to his parents. Dying is a very simple thing, he wrote. I've looked at death, and I really know. If I should have died, it would have been, quite simply, the easiest thing I ever did. This episode is about out-of-body experiences.
1: Welcome to Psychology After Dark, the podcast where we explore the dark side of the human condition. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica McConaughey
0: and Dr. David Morellos.
1: So, David, we are talking about out-of-body experiences today, and this is a topic that I have a hunch you and I are going to have very different viewpoints on.
0: Oh, most certainly.
1: So, you know, we talked about how we kind of wanted to structure this episode And we both agreed that I would probably start with some of the research about out of body experiences first, um, and then you would kind of chime in with some of your your viewpoints from your studies.
0: Right, and and, you know, in transpersonal psychology, this is one of those uh, experiences that is definitely a hot topic. It really became uh, sort of an important topic out of the what was known as the human potential movement of the 1960s, which is also the foundation for transpersonal psychology.
1: I feel like this is definitely something that's more in your wheelhouse than mine. Um, and I, I wondered, you know, out-of-body experiences, what Hemingway wrote about and what he experienced also sounds like a near-death experience. Sure. And are those kind of the same thing from your understanding?
0: It depends on how deep you get into it. I know that there are people that would argue that they're significantly different. And there's a number of ways. I mean, you and I both knew somebody who did quite a bit of research on near-death experiences. And he had very, very particular criteria for what constituted a near-death experience. To me, a near-death experience is just any time you're near death. Um, So regardless of what happens to you consciously you know, to your consciousness during that time, I would not, uh, to me is not what is in question and what qualifies it as a near-death experience. But anytime your consciousness leaves the body, or you have the experience of your consciousness leaving the body, that would be classified as an out-of-body experience, whether or not it is tied to something as traumatic as a near-death experience as in the case of Ernest Hemingway.
1: Okay, so they could there could be some overlap there but not necessarily.
0: Yeah, I would say that I'm not uh, this was not my while this is definitely a hot topic in transpersonal psychology it was not something that I personally researched. So I I would leave that for the to the people who actually research this phenomena to make that kind of judgment and make those distinctions.
1: Okay. Well, I did a little bit of, you know, just kind of online research about out of body experiences. And what I found was that it, they occur in actually approximately 10% of the population in people from all different cultures, which I thought was was pretty surprising because that means about 1 in 10 people have had an out-of-body experience. I've never had one personally. Have you ever had one?
0: I've had many, actually, that I'll get to.
1: Oh, okay. I can't wait to hear about them. <laughs> all right. So they are fairly common, and they also occur with certain medical conditions that affect the brain. So think things like epilepsy, migraines, and brain tumors. So Wilder Penfield was a Canadian neurologist, and he stimulated the brains of people with epilepsy. This was back in the 1950s. And when he was doing this, some of his patients reported having the experience of floating away from their bodies, which although they didn't term it an out-of-body experience at that time, it sounded pretty similar to me. And this kind of began the theory that these types of sensations, there's a brain region or brain activity that is associated with it. So a fairly famous case in 1991 was that of Pam Reynolds, who's since passed away. And she was a woman that she had an aneurysm, and she underwent this surgery, which at the time was very experimental. And what happened during the surgery was basically that she was dead, and, and she had to be dead for them to do this procedure, and then the plan was to bring her back to life afterwards, and that is what happened, and when she woke up, she had a very clear memory of what was occurring during her, her surgery, and she said that she felt that she had floated away from her body, she had witnessed what the doctors were doing, and recalled what the conversation was in the operating room. And so that case really is a very well-known case from my understanding in the field of inquiry into out-of-body experiences Mm -hmm. uh, because it's kind of a more modern case. And there are several interviews with her online that you can watch where she talks about this. Mm. So this kind of led to people wondering, okay, so many people are reporting these out-of-body experiences Let's do some research and see if we can try and verify whether or not this is actually occurring or if it's just kind of the sensation that's happening. And I thought this was very interesting. In 2012, there was a study called the Awareness During Resuscitation, which was just called the AWARE study for short. And it was a four-year research study that examined people who were cardiac arrest survivors from multiple hospitals in the United States the UK and Austria and what they did the researchers had placed pictures on shelves in different areas of the hospital where it would be likely that people would experience resuscitation from cardiac arrest and so on these shelves they were very high up and they put pictures that would only be visible if somebody was floating above them. So they ended up having over 140 people that had cardiac arrest incidences and were resuscitated during this time period at these hospitals. And only 2% out of those people had out-of-body experiences during resuscitation. And what they found was there was only one person that had what they termed conscious awareness when it would not have been expected, when it would be expected that the person was, you know, unconscious. Okay. The people who had out-of-body experiences weren't treated in the rooms where they had these pictures, though, which is kind of a bummer because that was what they were using to be able to verify, you know, whether or not people really were leaving their bodies. Okay. And none of the people that had out-of-body experiences were in any of those rooms. Mm. So they couldn't use that particular criteria to verify whether or not it was real. The one person who had that conscious awareness did provide an accurate description of an AED being used during the time of his cardiac arrest. And so, you know, they've talked about the fact that that did happen and so that kind of verified um, that he was present or conscious or aware during this time period. So the skeptic in me thinks, you know, AEDs are commonly used during cardiac arrest so I wonder, did this person really have an out-of-body experience and witness this happening? Or is it kind of one of those false memories that we've talked about where it's like, well, that's probably what happened and other people have told me that's what happened. And so, you know, you you almost have a memory of that occurring.
0: You but mean they were? it was suggested to them? They were being suggestible?
1: Either suggested or just like that's something that commonly happens. Right. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities for somebody to just say that, well, yeah, an AED was used. Okay. Um, So and I'm going to post a link to the actual research article from the 2012 AWARE study. And so you guys can read that in detail and, and kind of see what you think. But, you know, at the end of this, they felt like they still didn't have conclusive evidence regarding whether or not out of body experiences were a true thing where people were actually, their consciousness was leaving their body. And so they're actually conducting a second phase of the AWARE study because they really want to look at this in more detail. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on this second phase, so I don't know if it's underway or if it's been concluded and they're just writing up the results. I'm not quite sure about that, but I did think that it's interesting that they're putting resources into really looking at this area and examining it further.
0: Okay. Yeah, that is interesting.
1: So to bring us kind of back around to the brain piece of it, though, in Switzerland in 2002, Olaf Blanke and his colleagues were working with patients with epilepsy, and they found that passing a weak electric current through part of the brain called the temporoparietal junction or the TPJ, which is a lot easier to say because that's kind of a mouthful. Right. That led the patients to have out-of-body experiences. So the TPJ, the whole purpose of it, well, not the whole purpose, but one of the things that it does is that it processes both internal and external information that helps us understand where we are in space. And so, you know, as human beings, we have this perception that we are – There's a a separation or a very clear boundary between what is us and what is not us. And part of the reason that we have that experience is because of the TPJ. So it tells us, you know, everything inside of us is us and everything outside of us is not us.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So would this be, would you consider that maybe part of the ego then? Part of this, the part of the brain that gives us our sense of ego in other words this is what we define as ourselves versus the rest of the world
1: i guess that's another way that you could look at it i mean i think that it's kind of this literal thing that this is the boundary between me and the rest of the world like a physical boundary right um but i could see like somebody from the psychodynamic school saying yeah this maybe is part of that ego okay so what we do know is that Many out-of-body experiences, that 10%, you know, that's not just people that have medical disorders. There are lots of healthy people who have these experiences, and there's really no understanding of why or what is occurring in these individuals. So, you know, I wonder, is it possible that maybe some of these people have learned to access that TPJ um, and can kind of induce these out-of-body experiences, So, you know, the jury's still out, but there's strong evidence to suggest that out-of-body experiences are the result of brain activity, and that although some people may have the sensation they are leaving their bodies, they're probably not. Okay. So that's my argument. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, you know, I want to hear your your viewpoint on this, because I think that it'll be very um, enlightening to me, so...
0: Yeah, sure, so... You know, I wanted to start by stating that, again, that this particular topic is probably one of the most explored in the field of transpersonal psychology. That is the idea that consciousness can exist outside of the body. The idea that consciousness, like energy, cannot be created nor destroyed is something that tends to be one of the hallmarks of the transpersonal movement. If you really want to get on a transpersonalist's uh, bad side, attempt to make the argument that consciousness is some kind of a material construct. So what do I mean when I say that? Well, essentially, to make a materialist argument is to assert that consciousness arises from material, or in this case, the body. In other words, without the body, there is no consciousness. This simply would imply a lot of things, of course, to include the idea that bodily death means the end of consciousness. Of course, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts, Hemingway's being just one, of people's consciousness being separated from their bodies even people who claim to be able to consciously trigger this experience while in a trance while meditating while in a certain stage of sleep all of which i'll get to in a minute but the bigger issue is of course the constant attempts by those who are scientifically minded to attribute our experiences to something that is material
1: all right, is that kind of a dig <laughs>
0: it's definitely uh, a, di- a differing viewpoint.
1: Okay. okay. Well, and and you know, as you're as you're talking about this, I mean, I think that religions would also argue that this attempt to reduce these experiences to simple brain chemistry or or electric activity in the brain um, really dismisses the idea of a soul because a conscious consciousness is. Kind of the equivalent to a soul, right? I'm
0: glad you brought all that up because I'm right about to address that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, In transpersonal psychology, we might refer to this as a reductionistic argument or reductionist argument whereby someone is trying to reduce the importance of an experience by telling us it is simply a chemical reaction happening in our brain. Well, there is no doubt that there are neurobiological correlates occurring in the brain while we are having an experience, you know, which we can see on an fMRI machine, for instance. This does not mean that these chemicals are the cause of the experience. In fact, it may be quite the opposite, that these changes in our brain are a reaction to the experience, not the other way around.
1: So that's a good point. I mean, a lot of these um, studies that we're looking at, they're just correlational in nature. Right, we can't say that one thing is causing another.
0: Right. Okay. Right. I I very much uh, agree with that statement. You know, the, uh, the reductionism of the quote unquote "it all originates in the brain" argument kind of floors me. It seeks to reduce the totality of the human experience to something that we can see and measure scientifically. When it comes to out of body experiences, we are essentially speaking about disembodied consciousness. The truth is. This idea has been around for thousands of years with accounts of it in every culture across the globe. I have a book that I was perusing in preparation for this episode that took me back to my childhood a bit. It's one of those uh, Time Life books that used to be sold on television back in the 80s. Do you remember those? Oh,
1: yeah. I totally remember those. Yeah,
0: where you would order them and you'd get one every month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll put a a link to on the website to it um, if I can even find it online. But I'll definitely have a picture of it anyway. Cool. It was called Psychic Voyages. And it sort of traced the history of OBEs, or out-of-body experiences, through different cultures and contexts, outlining this concept in different versions. So one of these versions of the OBE that I found most fascinating was uh, the story of something called Remote Viewing. Or a psychic technique that was researched by the military back in the 1970s when all that crazy research was happening.
1: Oh, I want to do an episode about that research, by the way. Okay. FYI.
0: Well, it's sort of disappointing, the research that was done, unfortunately. Um, and it probably doesn't help my argument very much. <laughs> but I thought it was worth mentioning because the idea was is that somebody who was properly trained could leave his or her body, travel to an entirely different country visit a military installation uh, for the purpose of espionage and then come back to their body bringing back useful information.
1: That would be wild.
0: That would be wild.
1: That sounds like superhero stuff.
0: Well, it's uh, it's kind of the idea that was being explored in Stranger Things.
1: Right, yes. Right? Great show.
0: Yeah, great show. But that's exactly what she was doing, essentially. Yeah. She was leaving her body mm-hmm. uh, to look at, in this case, you know, uh, different dimensions. But it sort of had that espionage quality to it. You know what I mean? Like they were doing experiments with a person being able to leave their body to go to different places and bring back information. Yeah, right. Useful information. Right. So the government wound up spending a good deal of money researching this. Something uh, in the order of about $20 or so. But the research was uh, consistently plagued and invalidated. I don't know if this helps, again, if this helps my argument at all. But this does signify... That the experience of being able to do something like leave the body consciously and return to it was something that even the government was willing to explore. So, another version of this idea is something called astral projection. This is what is probably the most uh, mainstream version of the out-of-body experience. Um, This is, again, the ability to project one's consciousness, or soul slash spirit, if you want to call it that, outside of the body. When I was a PhD student, I met a number of people who claimed to be able to do this. I also met a number of people who were sensitive enough to see when others were doing it. So two women I went to school with who were roommates at one of the seminars were talking about it one morning when one said to the other, you know, I left my body last night and the other replied, yeah, I saw you. So they then proceeded to talk about astral projection techniques. Now, me personally... I have had experiences like this, although I'll admit that I'm generally not good enough or advanced enough, whatever you want to call it, to do it at will. There seems to be some combination of factors that I haven't quite figured out that sort of bring on the experience, but I have definitely had experiences where I have consciously left my body. Just another real quick example of this phenomena that I'm not sure if most would associate with being an out-of-body experience or disembodied consciousness is the idea of ghosts. Many people believe in ghosts, right?
1: Yeah, right. Okay, That's true. And you do hear them referred to in that way as being disembodied consciousness, right?
0: Yeah, sure. That's exactly what this is. So this is yet another context in which consciousness of someone... Who has passed is experienced by someone who is biologically alive when we visit our favorite medium to speak to deceased loved ones we are essentially communicating with consciousness that no longer has a biological counterpart to return to so these are all just sort of examples that I came up with to get back to my own personal experiences I tend to uh, have this experience maybe once every four to six months Okay. And it usually happens. That's more
1: common than I thought. Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I told you about the one time when I had that experience where I was able to actually come out of my body and I could see you in bed. What was most pronounced was the little blinking of your Fitbit on your wrist.
1: Right. You were saying you could see the light. I could see the light, the light blinking. Okay.
0: Right. Monitoring your sleep. Generally, what happens is is that I have to be incredibly tired, and um, what will happen is I will fall asleep very, very quickly, and it's almost as if the body falls asleep before the brain or vice versa. I don't know which it is, but something about it is it's not the normal progression of sleep, and I have this experience like I am awake, but I can't move necessarily in the way that we would normally associate with movement i can project myself outward but we are so embodied that we the first thing we try to do is move our bodies okay right so it's a much different experience than being awake i will say that and in order to do it it's in order to move out of the body it's almost as if you have to project yourself consciously with your mind because if you try to do it in the way that you would you would when you're in a waking state you're just gonna lay there you're not gonna be able to move because you're trying to move your body does that make sense?
1: yeah it's it's fascinating because it's I've never had an experience like that and so I'm trying to kind of imagine it as you're as you're saying it so so you project yourself out of your body and then what happens from there like are you just standing there are you floating are you walking?
0: So that's the trick the most I've ever been able to do is stand up and maybe take a few steps. Um, I do believe one time I was able to jump off of the upstairs (laughs) in our old house, you know, off of the upstairs, down the stairs, and then wound up downstairs. The other thing that's sort of unique about this experience is that even though you're having this experience and you can see things around you, nothing is represented in that experience, at least to me, as what it truly is in a waking state. So you
1: mean like it looks different? It
0: looks completely different. Like you know where you are, but it just, it's very, very different.
1: So I, I read about that in doing research for this episode and it turns out that that's actually pretty common. People report that a lot and it's one of the things that researchers point to, to suggest that this is not actually a person leaving their body. Their consciousness is not actually leaving their body. Because it creates this, like, dynamic where there's no way to verify it. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, no, it just looks different. And so, of course, their argument, because a lot of people do report having these experiences um, as they're falling asleep, that, oh, well, it's probably just a dream. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I've heard that before. I don't obviously know, but... Um, But that was actually one of the criticisms that people have had about people reporting out-of-body experiences.
0: And I know we'll get to dreams at some point, but dreams represent another form of a conscious experience. Sure. Right? Right. So, again, it's sort of, you know, this idea that, well, this is just a dream. We're, We're reducing it to something else, even though people are saying overwhelmingly that who have this experience that, no... I am actually having an experience where I am leaving my body. So now, and maybe we'll get to near death experiences at some point as well. But a lot of people, right, who have been documented as having near death experiences have very common experiences in terms of seeing deceased loved ones. Who, um, who have passed um, seeing the the tunnel the lights light, all right. that kind okay. of thing almost yeah. to the point where it's become cliche right so again people say you know well that's not verifiable because we can't bring back any useful information but when we have a culture of all these people sharing this experience and yet we're still debunking it as if it's you know right like it's and, and
1: it's across the globe i mean it's not just in one culture it's You know, people all over the world are having this experience. And like you said, they've been, it's been documented for thousands of years. And in general, people report kind of the same types of things that occur. Right. So, I mean, it it makes you wonder. And, you know, my perspective is, well, there's something going on in our brains that it gets tapped into or gets activated for whatever reason. And I, I hear what you're saying, too, is that, yeah, that may also be the case, but that doesn't mean that... Consciousness is not being projected or leaving the body, um, that both things can actually exist at the same time.
0: Right. Well, the riddle of consciousness, and, you know, this is a much bigger topic, obviously, but, I mean, that's probably the single biggest question that the transpersonalists have always sought to sort of explore. It's seamlessly integrated into the body somehow, but at the same time, it's not limited by the body. In other words our human potential and the potential of our minds is not necessarily limited to what we can do biologically.
1: It's not limited to our physical bodies.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Right. Now that doesn't mean that the physical body is not important. There's a whole field of uh, you know phenomenology uh, which explores how we experience the world through our senses and that there was an argument that I read that you know if it wasn't for the body we would not have the experience of emotion because it's our body that really triggers or that really communicates to us what emotion is. So think about it, I mean any kind of emotion you feel through your body.
1: Absolutely, you feel it in your gut, in your muscles, in your with your heart rate, your blood pressure, your breathing, sweating, all of that. Everywhere, yeah. right? And so right.
0: again this this is what is so fascinating about topics like this is that this consciousness becomes integrated almost seamlessly, you know, with These material aspects, but yet at the same time, consciousness seems to be something that is quite beyond what we see in the physical realm.
1: And I would say that the vast majority of the population agrees with that, that our spirit, that our consciousness is something that is separate from our physical being. So, you know, I think that sometimes when people bring up topics like out of body experiences or astral projection or or things of that sort, people think, oh, well, that's kind of a new agey topic. But actually, it's not. I mean, I think it's a fairly mainstream belief that our consciousness exists irrespective of our physical body.
0: Yeah. So, and again, you have, you mentioned, you know, different religions, you know, especially different uh, indigenous shamanic traditions where certain things were known to help stimulate these states of mind where... A shaman, essentially, would perform some sort of ritual, um, sometimes perf- uh, ingesting a psychedelic mm-hmm. to help bring on this experience of leaving the body, journeying somewhere, gaining information for the benefit of the tribe, the their people, or whatever, and bringing it back. Right. Again, so there are so many versions of this out-of-body experience and so many ways that this has been used in history. Uh, so, again, to me, to argue, to, try, to, that, to me, that's sort of the arrogance of Western civilization and the scientific worldview. I definitely believe that there is a lot of merit to science. I mean, of course there is. That would be ridiculous. If I get shot, you know, take me to a hospital. Right. You know, with a Western doctor. <laughs> Don't take me to some sort of Chinese acu- acupuncturist. Right. You know, not that there's anything against Chinese acupuncture or anything like that.
1: Of course not. Yeah, right. it's very, very helpful for certain things. But in that case, right, you would want to go to somebody that specializes in that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So when my energy is off, you know, or, or something like that, my energy meridians are off or whatever, then we'll go see the Chinese acupuncturist. Right. But if I'm, you know, if I'm suffering from a gunshot wound, you know. You want a surgeon. Yeah, don't take me to the chiropractor.
1: Right. No, I, get, know it. I, mean? I or, get it. You know I get Or a psychologist.
0: Or a psychologist, exactly. Yeah. I could so, talk to
1: you about feeling better about being shot, but I'm not going to stop the bleeding, right? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: So again, yeah, I just don't like it, and I think that this is this is probably one of the things that really does not sit well with me as a transpersonalist is when one of these spheres of influence, as uh, philosopher Habermas would call it, tries to colonize another. You know, and so we have these internal experiences. Versus these uh, external observables. Now, consciousness leaving the body is not something that can be externally observed.
1: Not yet, anyway.
0: Right. So, again, stimulating this part of the brain may may sort of uh, act as a correlate to an experience. But, again, we cannot say definitively that this brings on that. You know, and I think that this is probably another uh, something that we'll continue to explore I know that um, when we go, when we talk about psychedelics, which is something that you and I have been kicking around for a while now, yeah. I just got a book uh, that was written by one of the committee members of my dissertation committee and uh, one of his colleagues about the use of psychedelics. And so far from what I've read in the book, I haven't seen anything where they say definitively like, okay, you're going to take a psychedelic to have this experience
1: right i don't think it works that way right right no
0: it's sort of like okay now what does a psychedelic do we could argue that a psychedelic really sort of acts as something that can dissolve a boundary between what we normally perceive and what we can perceive when those boundaries are dissolved
1: yeah and i and there there's been a lot of research recently in other countries, um, but there was research even in the United States kind of looking at the role of psychedelics. And so I think that'll be a really interesting topic to come back to. But, you know, I'd really be curious to hear from our listeners and see if any of you out there have ever had an out-of-body experience and what that was like. You know, was it related to some sort of medical condition or was it something that happened spontaneously? Is there anyone out there that can control these and have them at will? And do you think it's simply a matter of brain activity or something more complex? So you can leave comments on the discussion page on our website at psychologyafterdark.com. You can also send them to us directly using the submission form. We've been getting quite a few that way. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook. So thanks so much for all the support and for all the ideas that have been coming in. We have some really interesting topics coming up, thanks to all of our listeners. And actually, today's topic was something that was suggested um, by one of our listeners. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I was definitely going to mention that. And I wanted to thank the people who have uh, communicated, taken some time to communicate with us and give us some good ideas and words of encouragement. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate that. That's, That's so helpful. So, and as always, if you're enjoying us, please give us a five-star rating on your listening app of choice and make sure to subscribe. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. So thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for joining us. Before we go, I did want to say one other thing. I wanted to tell one other other story. Oh, let's hear it. Okay, so I would sort of be remiss to not bring up where my fascination sort of originated with this idea. So, you know, back in the... The 1980s, speaking of the Time Life book, which sort of took me back, one of the reasons that um, my parents sort of got into this parapsychology, which is what it was known at the time, or the New Age movement back then, um, was because of the work of Shirley MacLaine. Do you remember her? Of
1: course. Out on a limb, right? Out on a limb, right.
0: That was probably one of her most famous books. She wrote a whole series of books about different experiences that she had had, leading up to a lot of different spiritual realizations, but... Out on the Limb was actually made into a movie. It was made into a uh, multi-sort of part miniseries that was on TV. The funny thing was, is that when it originally aired on network television, I was too young to stay up, all, you know, to watch the entire thing. <laughs> so every night I would watch the first hour from seven to eight, and then from eight to nine, I missed it because I'd have to go to bed. <laughs> but so later on, when I was finally able to get a copy of it and watch it straight through. It was interesting uh, to, again, go back over the experience that Shirley McLean described having while she was in a natural spring with one of her sort of spiritual mentors in Peru. Yeah. And so that really, you know, was one of the probably one of the strongest reasons why I always wanted to travel to Peru, which you and I did.
1: Yes, we've been there. Yeah,
0: a number of years back. But also what really sort of, again, popularized this whole idea of -of out-of-body experiences and consciousness being so much more than what we can see in the physical realm. So she actually had a really vivid description of it in the book, Out on a Limb, where she leaves her body, sees herself, and goes actually out into the solar system. And one of the things that is reported time and time again is that when you leave your body what keeps you from floating off into the universe and never coming back is this silver cord that attaches you back to your body Mm -hmm. but while you are in that state you can pretty much explore whatever it is you want to explore it's really only limited by your consciousness it's only limited by your desire to go out and explore and she went all the way out into the cosmos essentially during this experience and when she had the one limiting thought of i wonder how far this i can go that's when she got pulled back
1: Hmm, fascinating Yeah, yeah this
0: all started with a meditative exercise that her and her spiritual sort of mentor spiritual teacher were going through when she was sitting in again a natural spring meditating by staring into a candle a lit candle. So that's just sort of something interesting. So when I was reading this, when I was going through this Time Life book, I started thinking back to when this whole thing started, my fascination with out-of-body experiences and sort of triggered this whole idea and this exploration into consciousness, which again led to this whole field, me searching out, seeking out this field of transpersonal psychology. So just a little something for those of you listeners out there who are younger, you may not be familiar with a lot of Shirley MacLaine's work. She happens to be the sister of Warren Beatty.
1: The who they actor, also probably don't know. Who they also yeah. probably
0: don't know, but who's a you know, famous actor, been in a lot of movies and stuff. There. Well, why so don't they... we just
1: put, we'll put a link to her book on the webpage. That so sounds if you guys good. are interested in checking that out, um, please do visit our discussion page for some more information. We'll also have links to the AWARE study. Um, And so we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: The information contained in our podcast, on our webpage, and on our social media pages is for entertainment purposes only. All views expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which we have been, are now, or will be affiliated. The information is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental health condition. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, we encourage you to contact a mental health provider in your community. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by Dr. David Morelos and me, Dr. Jessica Makono. It was edited by Dr. David Morelos. The songs in this episode were Dubstep Slow Motion by Cool Loop and The Arrival by Liskus, both provided by Jemendo.